This morning we are in Matthew chapter 12, and we're studying the life and ministry of Jesus through all four Gospels at the same time. We've been doing this now for, this is part 52, which is hard to believe, but for 52 weeks, and we probably have about that many more. We're not going to do it all in one shot. We'll take some breaks and study some other things at different times. But we're going to slowly work our way through all four Gospels at the same time. in kind of a harmony of the Gospels where these different men's accounts of Jesus' life, we're going to try to put them as best we can in chronological order. Well, this morning, the passage we come to is one that has probably caused more angst among more believers than any other thing Jesus said. I know when I was a new Christian and I read this passage, and we're going to see some of Jesus' words here, it caused a lot of fear in me. And it made me really wonder, had I, in a good way though, I think, because it really made me examine, have I really trusted Jesus Christ? See, what we're going to see this morning is Jesus telling us about one sin that can never be forgiven. And he says this one sin, if you commit this one sin... You will never be forgiven. Okay? Now, you don't have any insert this morning other than just the text. Uh, That's because we've had a busy week and our leadership was away on a retreat this weekend. And so, quite honestly, you can can blame me. If you really like fill-ins, I apologize. So that's, that's on me today. Just a busy week. But, but hopefully we can stay together here as we work to the, through the text anyway. Sound good? Tell you what, let me, let me pray for our study in God's word, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for Jesus. And I pray this morning as we look at his words this morning, not mine, but his. Um, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, convict our hearts, that you would change us, that you would turn us toward him. And for those, Father, who, after hearing about this sin, if they know that, that that's their sin, I pray today they would turn to Jesus and trust him. So uh, I pray against the enemy this morning. He would take your word and twist it. He would accuse us. He would lie to us as is his way. And instead, teach us, Spirit, I pray. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks for your grace through him. Amen. Verse 22. Then a demon-oppressed man was bl- who was blind and mute was brought to him, was brought to Jesus. Now think about the sadness of this man. He's oppressed by a demon. He has um, no sight. He can't talk. Imagine what's going on in, in through this man's life. And clearly he can't take himself to Jesus. He can't see where he's going. He can't communicate where he wants to go. So someone brings him to him. And look what Jesus does. He healed him. And how do we know that he healed him? This guy was uh, blind and mute. And what does it say that he did? So the man spoke, and he saw. His mouth was opened, and his eyes were opened. That's incredible. Have you ever met someone who's blind? Have you ever seen someone who's blind just have their sight just instantly restored when they're brought to someone? If, if that happened, what would you think? Something, whoa. <laughs> whoa would summarize all of it, wouldn't it? Well, look at when the people who are around, look what they do. Look at verse 23. All the people were amazed. Whoa. And they said, can, can this be the son of David? Can this guy be the son of David? Do you know what that's referring to? The son of David was a term in the Old Testament referring to the coming Messiah. And so when the people saw this, and they saw this man do this miracle, and, and they had seen him do other miracles, by the way, they said, 
can this be the Messiah? Could this be? Now, there's not assurance that it is, but they're recognizing what he's doing and going, this might be. This might be. Their expectations were a little different for what the Messiah would look like and what he would do, but, but they started questioning in, them, in themselves that he's casting out demons, he's healing people who are blind, he's giving people their ability to talk back. Could this be the Son of David? Could this be the Messiah? And see, Jesus, when he comes, he does miracles. And the reason he does that is God demonstrates his kindness to people in order that they might be turned to him and drawn to Jesus and then turn in repentance. Paul talks about the same thing in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says, don't presume upon God's grace to you, but know that it's given to you so that his kindness might lead you to repentance. That his kindness in not punishing your sin right now, his kindness in, 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 in giving you blessing, his kindness in giving you life, his kindness in giving you health, isn't, isn't about you, it's about him. His kindness that you would turn because of his kindness in repentance. That's what repent means. It means to turn to Jesus. So some of the people, that's what they saw when they saw that Jesus healed him. They, they said, Could they, they're starting, maybe I should turn. Maybe that's him. And maybe some of you, you've been coming week after week, month after month, year after year, and you're hearing God's word and you go, maybe, that's, maybe I should turn. Well, then look at the next group of people in verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, Do you know who the Pharisees were? They're the religious leaders. They're the the teachers of the law. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, probably I'm guessing to themselves, it's only Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Notice they didn't reject the fact that Jesus had cast a demon out of this man or that Jesus had healed this man. They didn't say, ah, he didn't really do it. It's all a sham. (laughs) No, they're like, I... I don't know how to reconcile this, but I don't like it. He, he, he himself must be or have a demon in him, and he's casting out demons. Beelzebul saying he's, he's possessed by Satan. And practicing magic by Satan's power was a capital offense in that day. You could be stoned for it. Well, knowing their thoughts, see, this is why I think they probably just said it among themselves. Jesus perceived their thoughts by the power of the Spirit He said to them, Jesus perceives their thoughts, and then he replies to them in a parable in a short answer. Look what he says. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Imagine Jesus just healed this guy. He just cast out a demon, and they're like, "Ah, I think he's got a demon. And Jesus says, "Um, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. There's no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How, how then will his kingdom stand? Jesus is demonstrating the absurdity of their statement. Clearly, I'm guessing Jesus understood their thoughts, and there's a sense where they're like, I don't know how to reconcile this. I don't want to believe in him as God, so it must be a demon. It's not the power of God. It's the power of Beelzebub. It's the power of Satan. But Jesus is like, well, why would, a, why would Satan cast out Satan? Why would a demon cast out another demon? Why would a kingdom be divided against itself. I mean, imagine if you're a king, right? And you've got a bunch of soldiers. And, and uh, how many of you, if you're king, you would send out half your soldiers and say, conquer the castle? No, who would do that? Who would do that? And yet Jesus is saying that's what Satan's saying. Or Jesus is saying that's what they're saying by saying that about him. Satan wouldn't, wouldn't do such a thing. Such a kingdom would be laid waste in the same way people in a city or house divided with different goals and different dreams and different aspirations. And 
By the way, when we talk about marriage, uh, different beliefs, they're divided against themselves. That's why when we marry people as, as a church, we'll only marry Christians together who, who both believe in Jesus Christ, right? Because th- that division would be awful. And plus, Jesus says you shouldn't be yoked to someone who isn't also a believer, unequally yoked. But Jesus implied it would be impossible for Satan to cast out himself or his demons for that matter. You know, the other thing this reminds me of is that as a church, we strive for unity. We don't want to be a church divided against itself. Would you agree? I think all of us, we've had experiences, and there have been times even in this church where we've been parts of churches, or even here in the past, where, where we've been divided against ourselves. And how awful is that? And Jesus' words hold true for that, too, doesn't it? A church divided against itself won't stand. What happens? It splits and it crumbles and great harm and great shame is done to the gospel. So as a church, we strive for unity. Now, how do we do that? Well, what are we unified around? Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? And we talk about it like this sometimes where we've got, we've got closed hand things and open hand things. And, and in the closed fist, we've got Jesus is God. We've got Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We've got the only way I can be saved is trusting Jesus alone by his grace alone through faith alone. I can't do anything to earn my salvation. All of that, that's in my closed fist. And it, it, if we're going to fight, let's fight about this. Okay? Let, let's fight. But some other things, the color of the carpet, the, um, the secondary issues that we have convictions on but that we disagree on, the, the, the music we sing this morning, the music we sing next week, the, the style of this, the style of that, even some secondary issues of doctrine. It's like, you know what? We have convictions. We believe these things or, or these are just preferences. We're not going to make the mistake of throwing these in the closed fist because as soon as these open-hand things go in the closed fist, we fight and then we become a church divided against itself. And how stupid is that? Maybe Jesus would say to us, if we would ever find ourselves heading down that road, we could encourage one another by saying this. Don't don't you know that a church divided against itself will not stand? So let's be united around those close fist things, right? And we do a good job of this. It's just, I'm just priming the pump, just keeping it in front of us. Let's stay united as we see God work. Amen? That's a good spot for an amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. So look at verse 27, and Jesus keeps going. He says, So if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's not the first person in that area. Just so you know, historically, he's not the first person to ever cast out a demon or to perform an exorcism. In the first century, exorcism was a thriving business, both in pagan and Jewish societies. You can uh, read about uh, one guy in Acts 19. Um, You can read about it in Mark 9. Uh, Some were effective, some were frauds. Exorcists would employ complex incarnations, magic charms. They'd sing songs. They'd they'd have visual effects and smoke and all kinds of incense and different things. Yet what does Jesus do? When he casts out a demon, you know what he does? Come out. Come out. He doesn't turn the crank and whip up a big show. He says, out. Why? Well, because he has authority. Because he's God. And, and Jesus is saying, so if I cast it out by Satan, and you guys are casting some, how do you do it? By whom do you cast it out? <laughs> and he goes on, verse 28, he says, but 
It's not Satan. Here's what he's saying. He says, but it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. If it's by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Listen, this is a key verse to understand what's coming ahead. You've got to understand what Jesus is saying here if you're going to understand the the part I talked about where he talks about this sin that's unforgivable. Because if you don't understand what he's saying here, you're not going to get that. And what he's saying here is that it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. It's by the Spirit of God that I heal people. It's it's the Spirit of God that's uh, used synonymously with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, in his humanity, he was God who put on flesh. He lived fully in his humanity, right? He, he, He was God who clothed himself with flesh. And he lived fully as a man. He, Paul tells us in Philippians, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped. He never let go of being God. He never quit being God, but he veiled it. And instead, he veiled it in flesh, and he lived fully as a man, and he never pulled out his God card. Right? And the way that he did miracles and the way that he did uh, performed incredible things and supernatural things was by the power of the Holy Spirit working through him as a perfect man. And he's saying it's by the Spirit of God then that I cast out these demons. It's by the power of God that I do this. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit working through me. Do you understand what the work of the Holy Spirit is? The work of the Spirit of God? Let me tell you this. Uh, Well, let's just read it together maybe. This is from our statement of faith. And it says this. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Some things to know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He's grieved when we sin, Paul says in in Ephesians 4. He has knowledge. He can be lied to. He can pray. And in fact, he prays for you, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says. Jesus calls him our helper. Jesus said to his disciples, it'll be better for me, better for you when I leave because I'm going to send my helper in my place to be with you. And the Holy Spirit can teach and guide. And this is what Jesus tells us about the Spirit in John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, as we were speaking of, he will guide you into all truth. He'll teach us, right? For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And what Jesus is telling us here is that the Holy Spirit's primary role is to glorify Jesus. It's to glorify Jesus. And the Holy Spirit would never do anything that wouldn't bring glory to Jesus Christ. He's he's being sent by Jesus. Now, this is curious to me because he's an equal member of the Trinity. He's fully God, just like the Father, just like the Son. Last week, we talked about roles of, of men and women in the home, right? Equal but different. The members of the Trinity, God demonstrates this for us. They're equal but different. The the Holy Spirit has a different role. He, He submits himself to the will of the Father, and he submits himself to glorify the Son. And the the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in everything he does. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening is these guys, these Pharisees, they see Jesus cast out the demon and they say, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's a demon. That's not the Holy Spirit, that's, that's a demon. That's not the Spirit of God. Jesus says, no, it's the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit working in me. And if you want a picture of what it looks like to be filled with and controlled by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, look at Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus. 
Do you ever hear teaching about the Holy Spirit? Or maybe you see a video on TV or, or a preacher on TV or, or a weird video on YouTube. And, and you're like, they're saying that they're doing things in the Spirit. But that looks really weird to me. There, there's a simple test. There's a simple test. When you hear somebody claim to be doing something in the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what you ask? Does that glorify Jesus? And if it doesn't, then I would commend to you that's probably not the Holy Spirit. It may be a spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in all that he does. And in this case, he's casting out the demon through the Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring people to repentance, to point them and say, hey, look at Jesus. I'm glorifying him. He's Messiah. He's the Messiah. Yet the Pharisees reject it. The Pharisees reject it. Verse 29, Jesus goes on, or, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Jesus is alluding to the fact that he's about to bind the strong man, and he has in his life, and he will on the cross. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now, in verse 30, we get to the piece where I start to tell you, when I became a Christian and I read these next three verses, it freaked me out. I just did, and for a long time, and whenever I would read this, and I'd come to it. And even looking and doing some research this week, there's not, there's not a whole lot of pastors that have even preached on this passage. And looking through my Bible software and traditional like church fathers and older guys like Charles Spurgeon, very few of them preached on this passage even. Because it can be confusing. But let's look at what Jesus says. He says in verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is laying it down for the Pharisees who have just seen him cast out a demon, just seen him heal this man. He's laying it down for them. And he's laying it down for us, by the way. That listen, if you're not with me, you're against me. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying there's no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. If you haven't trusted me, if you haven't turned to me, then you're against me. If you haven't come to me in faith you're not a Christian. If you haven't repented, you're, no. You're like, yeah, but I go to church. I'm, I'm there all the time. I'm hanging out. I'm waiting to make that choice. No, no, no. There is no waiting. <laughs> it's in or out. It's yes or no. There is no gray area on this. Jesus says, if you are not with me, you're against me. It's like me saying, if you're not in this room, you're outside of this room. Can you argue with that? You could be like, well, I might have one foot in and one foot out. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. It's either in or out, with him or against him. And if you're not with him, Jesus says, you're against him. Jesus says over and over, and over and over, he, 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 he clarifies there's two classes of people. There's people who've repented and trusted him, and then there's people who haven't. It, we tend to classify, well, there's people who've repented, and then there's this religion and this religion and this religion and atheists and all. And, and maybe there's many different ways to God. No, and Jesus says, no, 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 there's two classes. There's those who are with me and those who are against me. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. With me or against me, Jesus says. And then he goes on, therefore, I tell you. Now, I told you this before. When you see therefore in the, in the, in the text, what do you ask yourself? What's it there for? What's it there for? It's referring to something previous. And I would say that the therefore here, there's two things. One is the therefore where he declared himself to be doing this in the power of the Spirit of God. And the other piece is that he said there's two sides. He said, I, I've done this in the power of the Spirit, and there's two cho- you, you, have, you have two sides you can take. You can either be with me or against me. 
And here's what he says. I tell, therefore, I tell you, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven people. You're like, how's that so hard, Josh? That's great news. Would you agree? Let me clarify. This is really, 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 really good news. And I could have kept going all day. Because this is great news. This is the best news of your lifetime. Jesus, look at that. Look at what that says. Every sin. Okay, let's do a little grammar test. See if you were paying attention in elementary school when you got every on your spelling spelling test, right? Every means how many? All of them, right? So every sin. How many sins are going to be forgiven? How many sins are forgiven by Jesus? Everyone. How about blasphemies? How about blasphemies? You know, when you, you speak evil, you turn from God. How many blasphemies will be forgiven people? Every includes how many of them? All of them. See, do you get this? Paul, Paul lays it out pretty clearly in Romans that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that while, and, and that the wages of our sin is death. But that while we were still sinners, Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And so that I could be forgiven. And because of this, then the free gift of God is eternal life. And to become a Christian, all I have to do is believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you know what? I'll be saved and every sin, every blasphemy of my life, past, present, future, will be what? Forgiven. That is really great news. But let's keep reading. But, Jesus says, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. The blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Mark records it this way when he's uh, recording this passage. Mark says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But he is guilty of an eternal sin. What happened to every sin? What happened to every blasphemy being forgiven? See, when I read this, and I, I would read this, and I would study this growing up after I became a Christian, I'd read this, and I was excited about my faith, and I trusted Jesus, and then I'd read that, and I'd start freaking out, like, have I committed that? Have I done that? Anybody else, you ever had that experience reading that? And you're like, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you, one, if you're concerned about it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But let me explain what I believe Jesus is saying here. What I believe he's saying is that whoever rejects, uh, let me ask you, let's review. What was the work of the Holy Spirit to do what? To glorify Jesus Christ. So to blaspheme the Spirit of God, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to do what? To say, no, when, when the Holy Spirit says, this is the Messiah, Jesus is the one, you need to turn to him. When you, the Holy Spirit works in your heart to regenerate you and convict you of your sin, and he's saying, you need to make a choice today. You need to choose Jesus Christ today. When, when I reject that, right, when I reject that, he's saying, listen, that is Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. And that's the Holy Spirit telling us that. When I reject that with my life and I never turn to Jesus, I'm committing a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And it's the one sin that will never be forgiven. You know why? 
Because if you never repent of your sin, if you never listen to the call of the Holy Spirit in your life to turn to Jesus, and then you pass on from this life, it's too late to make that choice. And you've rejected him, and you've rejected that, and you've turned from Jesus, and it'll never be forgiven. The one sin that will never be forgiven is rejecting Jesus Christ. It's rejecting him. Now, even in saying that, is it true that sometimes in our sin and in our ignorance, we turn away from him and we run astray? Is that true? It is true. But those who truly trusted him, you know what usually happens? Always happens? The Holy Spirit grabs them. What do they do? They come back. They come back. If, if you've truly trusted Jesus, you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit and you'll never be able to. Because now you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And what did Jesus say? That a house divided, a house divided against itself can't stand. Why would the Holy Spirit cast the Holy Spirit out of you? Just like he said, why would Satan cast himself out of this man? If you've truly trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to take residence within you. And he's yours. Actually, you're his, is the truth. But maybe you're wondering, well, have I really turned to Jesus Christ? See, because as you read through Scripture, what you find out is if you're not with Jesus, you're against him. If you're not with him, really the way Paul says it is that you're following the prince of the power of the air. You're following Beelzebub. You're following Satan if you're not following Jesus. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm just living life. I just, I just don't believe that. Well, Jesus said you're with him or against him. And if you're against him, you're not following him. You're following the prince of the power of the air. He's a deceiver. You don't believe you're following He's a deceiver. It's in or out. And you're like, okay, so how do I know whether or not that I've committed this sin? How do I know if I'm stuck in it where I'm rejecting the Holy Spirit? Well, keep reading. I believe Jesus gives this next parable to help us understand whether or not we've truly become a Christian. He says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree bad, and the fruit will be bad. You notice the tree in the middle of the stage, maybe. Here's what a lot of times people do. See, Scripture compares our life to that of a tree. And the truth about a tree is that it grows slowly and over time. And slowly as it grows, its roots go deeper, it gets stronger. And the tree, unless it's growing, what's happening? It's dying. Now, does a tree go through, uh, through patterns of dormancy where it doesn't produce fruit, like over the winter? And it goes through some seasons that are more fruitful than other seasons. But what happens every spring? There's still life there. There's still life. Yet, here's what some people often do. And by the way, with a, tree, a tree, when it's healthy, then it produces life, right? It produces leaves. Some people, though, here's what they'll do. They'll say, um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to try harder to produce some fruit. I'm going I'm to I'm be nicer to more people. 
And I'm going to work really hard this week to make sure that I, I don't um, I don't swear. You know, I'm, I'm just going to work really hard at it this week. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make sure and, and work really hard this week to be sure that I don't I don't lie. I'm going to I'm going to work hard, and I'm I'm, I'm getting that fruit. See, you're, you're going to I'm going to be known by my fruit. I'm going to be known by it. I'm going to do good deeds. I'm going to, I'm going to help a few ladies cross the street this week. A few old ladies who couldn't make it on their own. I'm, I'm going to give more. I'm, I'm going to go to church this week because I know if I go, then clearly that will, that, that'll demonstrate some good fruit, right? My tree will look prettier if I go this week. And, and as other people start to look at my tree and judge it, and, and you see what you're doing? You're just hanging decorations on the tree. Tell me, these decorations, how much life do you see there? Not a lot. You know, what we often do is we just, we keep, we, we want to be a tree known by its fruit. And so what, what do we do? We just, we hang fruit on the tree. We just hang it. I, I try harder to do good things. I, I try harder to be nicer. I, I try harder to not uh, beat my kids or, or ridicule my wife. I just, I try harder not to do it. And it might look good. And should you try harder? Is that a, is that a noble thing, by the way? It's a, it's a very noble thing to try harder to do the right thing. It's a very noble thing. Don't, don't, don't miss that. But is that fruit alive? It's dead. And you know what's going to happen when I hang fruit on a tree like that? Is that fruit still going to wither? Why? Because it's not connected to the tree. See, Jesus says you, you can't make a bad tree good by hanging good fruit on it. If you want good fruit, you have to make the tree good. And Jesus tells us, and and Scripture tells us that all of us, we start life with a bad, dead tree. (laughs) We do. And what kind of fruit does it produce? Paul tells us in Galatians that the fruit of the flesh, the the works of the flesh are self-evident, right? It's malice, it's envy, it's deceit, it's immorality. It's all these things. And so what do we do? Well, we try to cover it up with good fruit and hang it on the tree. But the fruit of the Spirit, what? Is joy, peace, patience. Joy, peace, patience. Thank you. Love, kindness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law, Paul says. But Jesus says, if, if you want those things, you want peace? Do you want it? It's not going to come by hanging more things on the tree and following all the best self-help books. Do you want Joy. It's not going to come by just smiling more. Now, that, may, that may help your outlook on life, right? And that's probably a good thing to work hard at being joy. But at the same, that's not going to bring you true lasting joy. You know what's going to change you and give you good fruit and give you joy? Is when the tree is made good. And when the tree is made good, there's fruit. And the tree changes. And the tree glows. And the tree produces good fruit. And there's going to be seasons of dormancy. There's going to be ups and downs in the life of the tree. And if that tree is really going to grow, you've got to prune it back, man. Because sometimes you're going to get so many things going that the fruit, you're starting to realize, oh, this tree's getting a little sick. So let's prune it back. Let's cut off some things. And we're going to prune it back. Why? So it still grows up straight and tall. Sadly, many Christians, they trust Jesus and they never tend to the tree. They never prune the tree. And you know what they become? A short bush. Seriously, you ever see a tree that has like tons of shoots coming out around the base? That, those trees hardly ever grow to be tall. Usually they just turn into a big bush. You got to pull those. 
You got to prune it. You got to tend it. You got to fertilize it. If you want fruit, you want joy, you want peace. I cannot talk today, can I? You want to talk? You, you want peace, you want joy, you want patience, you want those things. You know what you need to do? Not just try harder and hang it on the tree. You need to tend the tree. You need to go to Jesus and you need to engage with him in worship and in prayer and in reading his word. And guess what happens? When that's like pouring fertilizer on the tree. That's like pulling weeds from the tree. And when you do that, you're going to find out suddenly, you know what, I'm, I'm a little, I have a little more joy this week than I had a month or two ago. You're going to notice when... Things get stressful at home. I have a little more patience this week, don't I? That's encouraging. It still drives me crazy, but I can, I'm patient. And slowly, it's not going to happen by simply trying harder. It's going to happen when you tend to the tree. If you want good fruit, make the tree good. And that's what Jesus is saying. And if you have some of those fruit and you start tending the tree, listen, you're going to recognize that, that that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I haven't rejected him. That's Jesus changing me. I've turned to him and trusted him. But if I keep hanging fruit and I deceive myself, there could come a day where Jesus says, who are you? Depart from me. I never knew. Yeah, but look at, look at Jesus. Look at all the good things I did for you. And he's like, yeah, but that, that tree's dead. You've never turned to me. I, I don't know you. He goes on, and basically that's what he says then to these Pharisees. He, he calls them a, a brood of vipers. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, in other words, the good tree produces good fruit. The bad tree produces bad fruit. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. In other words, by your fruit. If it's simply hung on the tree, it will not last. If it's a good tree and you've turned to Jesus Christ in saving faith, no effort of your own, you'll be saved. That's my challenge to you this morning. If you've trusted Jesus, tend the tree. You ain't quit wearing yourself out trying so hard. Just, just go to Jesus. If you've never turned to Jesus, you need to quit wearing, out, wearing yourself out trying so hard. And you need to turn to him and let him make you new. There's nothing you will ever do to be saved. Obey the call of the Holy Spirit on your heart. Maybe even today would be the day you'd turn to him in faith. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him. Lord, I, Jesus, when we read your words, it's, it's a good thing sometimes that they, they frighten us and they cause us to examine our lives. Um, I pray this morning for those who've never trusted you that, that those words would bring rightfully so great dread and fear upon them, and that they would turn to you in faith. They would trust you, that they would be made new, and made alive. And I pray for those, Father, who have trusted you, that rather than uh, be in fear, rather than continue to work and try harder, uh, they would simply tend to the tree. 
that they would uh, simply seek you, Jesus, and love you, that they'd be made new, and that they'd receive the fruit of the Spirit, and they'd see it grow and see themselves change, long, slow, steady, over time, but change. Thanks for Jesus and for his example, Father. We pray all this through him. Amen.